She's like getting. A woman in her mid 20s, she's got like friends and stuff. Oh, God. We won't cut that. Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 62 Yakin' Over Pancakes. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that covers everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This time around, I've got a bit of a live one for you, literally. The early part of June was really cool for me, as not only did the school year end, but I had the chance to do some live recording with some very good podcasting friends. First of all, Professor Allen came to Charlottesville while on his way through various East Coast cities, and he hung out with Stella and I for an afternoon. Then Stella and I sat down and talked over breakfast, pancakes specifically, hence the name of the title of this episode, and naturally we recorded quite a bit. You can hear a huge portion of my talk with both Professor Allen and Stella over on an episode of Relatively Geeky. Uh, Relatively Geeky Presents episode number six is where you hear us talking about geek travel and geek vacations. And he did some other with some other podcasters. But what I've got here is stuff that wasn't on his show. I recorded quite a bit. A lot of it is completely unusable. But we talked a little bit about comic books, and we talked a little bit about literature while Barnes & Noble in Charlottesville, and that's where we're going to go first. My favorite novel of all time. Oh, my. Tessa the Girls. Oh. Sir. It's a little depressing. Yeah, a little. No, you start at the back. You're way forward. You get a happy ending. I told that. I told that to my co- I told that to my coworker, my coworker, Amanda and Jamie. They actually laughed at that joke. Yeah. I mean, it was great. There's some suicides and arrests and an execution, but come on! No. She probably shouldn't have entrapped him in the marriage. That was a bad thought. That was not a good idea. I'm not saying it was like. I'm not saying it's my (laughs) role model. I'm saying it's a. It was. Oh my god. You can't even talk to Tom about English novels. Tom hates everything English. Do not hate everything English. That's what I heard. I'm doing, hey, I'm doing, uh, I do Shakespeare every year. I insist on doing Shakespeare every year. And we go, and I did, and you you probably do Shakespeare just so you can cover the Sandman. Midsummer Night's Dream. I actually did that just because, well, the reason I did, uh, the Shakespeare I like to do is Twelfth Night. But I did Midsummer's because the, 
American Shakespeare Center in Stanton was doing Midsummers, and we got right. tickets and we did a field trip. So we did the Sandman, but they're doing Twelfth Night again, and I'm going to do Twelfth Night again. So. No, I love. I don't hate all. I just don't like Jane Austen or Charles Dickens. And I, I do, know, I, I know I, they I, don't I'm have making, a Mount Rushmore, but if they did, those, I they am would making, be on them. I am. I, I am going to make a resolution to um, to read more. Uh, because I've only read The Hound of Baskervilles, and I'm going to reread that because I read that back in high school, and I liked it. I just I never got in beyond that because my pleasure reading of choice at the time was Star Trek novels and the reasonable Star Wars novels. Most of I was trying to keep up with Star Wars novels until they went crazy, yeah, and it became really impossible to keep up. So, like, there was a chance I had a checklist, like nine books on us. I could. Then by the time then the Trek the Trek novels for me were easy. The Trek novels for me were easy because the public library had all of them, so I would just go to the public library and check them out all the time. So and I have a few that I bought at a secondhand bookstore because I want to reread them. They were ones that I meant to read and never read. So so yeah, so Holmes kind of fell by the wayside because of that. But I'm going to reread Basketballs and I'll probably pick up a few others. And and him and then um, then I want to reread some of the Ian Fleming James Bond. Books. I've never read any of the original. I read The Man of the Golden Gun and The Spy Who Loved Me because it was the only ones the library had, and they were good. I've heard Casino Royale is really good. Really, really and I think we have a copy in our portrait somewhere. So. Being an English teacher is helpful when your department has its own room full of books and you have access to a library in your building. Well, you had that too. I do. Yeah. That's I'm gonna... where I found that book that I read before I came to your class. Oh, The Stranger? Yeah. Yeah, she she ruined my teaching career. Why? Because I knew. She I sat in my she sat in my experience. See, I, and 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 this was your uh, this was your cautionary tale. Yeah. You could grow up to be this. Oh my god. <laughs> That's terrible. No, what I meant, what well, I meant that in the positive way. Oh. Okay. Yeah, we we were doing um, the Al Camus, and the, so she read it, and it's not a very long book, and so but. I have this habit of whenever there's an administrator in my classroom of deliberately calling on them because I try to call them out. So and so she knew that I was gonna rope her into the conversation at some point. So I have to I have to pay you back though. I have to visit your class. I'll have to see when if and when I have a time. There are two of my students over there. I just didn't point her attention to them. Oh really? Yeah, they're They're past students. So we ran into one of your students this time. Yeah. So we ran into one of my former students last time. So. I teach sophomores. You teach the middle schoolers. They act like they're prepubescent. Jeez. So, I'm going to record you. Why? Why just me? Can't you record him? Record him later. Oh, I'm, like I said, I just go. Are you about to ask me questions about yes, tests? Yeah. Can you read Jane Eyre? Can I read Jane Eyre? Yes, you? if I, That's if on I my tried, list. if would I tried, you? I probably could. Because I think I've that to it on tape you'll realize that it. that's much better than tests. It's it's though. different. Yes. You ever read Weathering Heights? She isn't old. I like I don't like that one. There's some incest. Supposed it potentially. It's a little crazy. I like the crazy. I like the uh, crazy apparently, because Tess, she about she's about I, to murder someone. It happens. You know, you say I hate the English, and yet one of my all-time favorite novels, 
is Frankenstein. I'll let, I I'll love let I'll let, and I liked. Um, well, I don't think Stoker, Bram Stoker was. Was Bram Stoker English or was he German? I like Dracula, that's, but Frankenstein. That's a, that's a, so Frankenstein Dracula is a tough read. It's, it's a very thicker and longer than you than you expect. It was better the second time I read it because I read it in high school after seeing that Coppola and, film. And, and you get a lot more of the, the henchmen. Yeah. Directly. Yeah. But Frankenstein's such a great novel. Did you say Glockenspiel? Did you get a lot of Glockenspiel in Dracula? Okay. So <laughs> I'm telling you, this is what a conversation with Stella is like. You should see you should see our texts back and forth to each other. Lately they've been degenerating into just like emoticons and name calling. Almost immediately after that. We had the bulk of the conversation that you hear in the Relatively Geeky Presents episode about geek travel and those sorts of things. Then we headed to a local restaurant named Firefly, where we talked more about geek stuff, including 80s music. Yeah, that's that's on my call list. Superwoman is wonderful, and one's just super. Yeah, they're different characters. Uh, I think I think Lois Lane is Superwoman actually, and um, I I will tell you the primary reason I'm picking up Superwoman is that Phil Jimenez is doing the art, and I love Phil Jimenez, so he's on my wish list of creators. We had to pick up John Constantine for Emily. Okay. Yeah. I am not picking up the Titans. Oh, I, I can't. I, I I let that go. I I said I'm sorry. It's not you. It's me. And I had closure. It's not them. It's Tom. And I know. Tom I just like I, I, if you. It's. I have this thing about Long Island. And this is a good metaphor for it. That whenever I go back to Long Island, I'm. I, I'm happy to be there, but after a couple of days, I remember why I left in the first place, and I think that's what. Yeah, you gotta take your time. That's what reading the title. Lunch is on Lakeford. Really? No. At least they'll be putting for the tip. No, that's way more than twenty questions. Can I buy you some comments? Maybe. Thank you. Thank you for helping me accomplish my new geek resolution of meeting people. This should cover it. Makes my wife happy. Yeah, though, all right. It makes my wife happy that I'm meeting people. Are you locked Not currently. <laughs> but I mean, often? I am, uh, but the life model decoy is pretty good, she thinks. Yeah. You know, that is the plot of the Stepford Wives. <laughs> Wait, what was your thing about Long Island? Oh, every time, every time I know. Okay, every time I go what back there. What was that crazy there, rambling you were engaged in? Old man yelling at cloud. Um, 
Every yeah. time I go back there, I'm like, oh yeah, it's great to be back. But then after a day or two, I remember why I moved away in the first oh, place, yeah. and I feel like that's what picking up the Titans again would be like, or like, or like running into an old girlfriend. Well, Although I only Scott have like one now. old girlfriend to ever run into. So. At least Scott Lundell's not on it, right? This is true. I just, I can't. I just can't. If Marvel um, maybe if, if, um, well, J.T. Kroll was on the, the, the book right before the Flashpoint, and he was doing a really good job, so, like, if there was somebody like that, I just, I don't want to get burned. I've been down this road, I'm, I'm done, man. Like I told you, I, I, I don't feel like running into my girlfriend from high school anytime soon, so I... There's some other titles. If I hear good things, pick up the trade. Emily works at a library. Emily works at a library. So she gets all the trades. I will continue my streak of not regularly buying Batman. So (laughs) The only thing out of the Snyder run I've read was um, Zero Year. Year Zero or whatever it was. I buy DC Bombshells. It's a digital first, so it's out of the continuity by the bot. I am buying... You know what I've really enjoyed? There's a new one out. Um, the Legend of Wonder Woman. I've heard great things about really that. really good. Well. Yeah, it's really, really That's good. That's one Emily's keeping her eye out for the trade when it hits the library. Yeah. And it's it's completely out of continuity as well. Right, yeah, so that's, I think that's, that's, that's what, how it benefits from. I recently I've enjoyed Bob Shelf a lot. Yeah. It gets better. Yeah. The first volume. I've read, I have, yeah, I've read parts of that on usually. I, I have. One, I, I did one issue of that with Balin on the quarterback. I have two of the trades that I've read parts of, so I have to sit down and. and that feels like something that I'd want to get the trades and then want to collect beyond that because it's just this ongoing story. But a bunny. I'm still trying to finish Suicide Squad, but now I gotta wait for the movie to die down because the issues that I need are the ones that are really expensive. All the Barbara, all the Oracle ones. I'm looking forward to the movie. I'm looking forward to that movie. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too, but like all the key Oracle ones and like the last right. issue are the ones that I need and they're really too expensive. Yeah. There's a seller's market for that one. The ones that you got, yeah, with the guns are like they're going, but they're going for like twenty or thirty dollars now. So I have to. I haven't made an active effort to look for them yeah. recently, so I'm going to try. That was that episode I did with Brian Q. Miller. was my one hundred. Ostrander, there's a rumor he's coming back. Maybe. I. It's not a book I've been reading. So. I like this writing. Yeah. And when we did that episode for the Kents, mm-hmm. I, got, I think Mike knew him on Facebook first, but we were able to send him a couple of questions and he answered them. He's very open to that. Interested that we were talking about it. We probably sold a half dozen copies. He like knows it over the you know four episodes. He had a he had a status about the finale, the season finale of the Flash, and a comment regarding John Wesley Ship. Mm. And John Wesley Ship commented on his status, and I'm like, <laughs> like here, like That's I'm almost like, as cool as saying something about like you know the, the only cool thing. Is, uh, uh, yeah, like I had the the French girl from Better Off Dead once liked one of my tweets. And that was cool. And Paul Feig retweeted me once, and that was really cool. But other than that, you know. Oh, and Phil Jimenez replied to a tweet of mine. That's that's about as cool as I ever get, social media wise. I'm not 
<laughs> I'm not one of these people who can like have active conversations with comic screeners or get them on my show to do routine stuff, which is impressive. Because I, I did interviews, but the fact that you got Brian Camiller on to cover a book yeah. impressed the hell out of me. I have to only because I have like some sort of not like a friendship. Not like that. Just because I interviewed. Whoa! Him breaking news on the. You know. We're shipping. We're shipping Stella and Brian Cumiller right now. The coolest thing I did, I think, Stiller. was that was. Stiller. Stiller. Like that. Like that was get the uh, team back row to do that ASL. Yeah. Right. But then I got them in trouble. Apparently, they got heat because of that. Oh really? Why? Well, because I guess DC doesn't want to be associated. Charity. That that they are not in charge of. Yeah. Oh, I got. So it. I got them in trouble. <coughs> yeah. It would be more fun if it were on purpose, but on accident works. <laughs> works just as well. I'm trying to build relationships, not break them down. A little overrated, but okay. I hear. You. Well, what about you, Lynette? Are See, you exactly. We're trying. <laughs> <laughs> This was my favorite song. This was my favorite song. I don't know what my favorite song is. Don't you want me, baby? Six seconds. It's because I can do the impression really good. Well, I met you. Oh, we know. What? 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 You didn't ever get into hair metal, did you? Yeah, neither did I, alright. Because it, it's like the 80s has this weird dividing line between like new wave and hair metal. Don't you want to believe it? I really can't believe it. When I hear that you won't see me, don't. Don't you want to sink? No, it's in sync. It's like twice. We have it's we have standards. Do you think several times? Better change it back or we will both be sorry. Don't you want me, baby? It's hard to believe Tom was the one that had a beer. Don't you Remember Mabel and Boy Band several times? Oh, yes. Okay. Better review these. I'm going to rewatch it before we. Oh, there's a girl. Oh, yeah. See, they're uh, discussing the dissolution of their relationship. Yeah. But I just love the chorus. It is such a teen boy. Concept, don't you want? How could you not? Kind of like a lot of those spin doctor songs. Same idea. How could you I want him when you don't have it? Have me. Which is one of my That's favorite hilarious. spin doctor That's songs. Hilarious. I really like that song. Same concept. Yeah. I just like the pathos. The song music. The song has a really good tune to it too. It's more. It's more listenable than Two Princes. I think the song is older than she is. Don't you want me, baby? <laughs> I don't understand the laughing part. Sorry. I don't understand she, the well, laughing part. She laughs part. at everything. Uh, Not everything. 
she makes you, she goes out of her way to make you uncomfortable with the laugh. What? How are you uncomfortable when I'm laughing? Shag will corroborate. You know. Huh? You know what you, you, you know what you do. Is it because you don't know why I'm laughing? <laughs> it's because we do know. Well, there was more because we, we headed to the comic store uh, and I recorded while we were at the comic store. Stella insisted on whispering everything, so I got 45 minutes of stuff like this. Thanks, Stella. Anyway, I'm going to take a break, and when I get back, uh, I'm going to go right into the conversation without any intro that Stella and I had. Uh, the setting was a restaurant in Charlottesville named the village right by the university of virginia right around the corner from it and the restaurant itself is a pretty good approximation of a diner or a coffee shop uh we planned we had planned on getting together for breakfast for a while uh we had pancakes we talked about comics and we talked about one of our favorite television shows uh mad men and i will have that right after this you like cheap comic books right well i'm professor allen and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. English was. The funny thing was about um, about that portion of Rebirth was like I didn't care mm-hmm. about that ending. Um, there was a lot of other stuff in there that I really enjoyed, but like the big twist at the end with Doctor Manhattan, it, it didn't. I was as they were talking about it. I'm like you know. I was wondering if they were gonna like once again something like the anti monitor or something yeah. that they've done a million times and you know, I talked to my hand, I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the big deal for me. Yeah, I think more people were uh, flabbergasted than I was when mm-hmm. I just saw the smiling. For yeah. me, well, I guess yeah, I think keeping Watchmen is like a separate universe, I think. And I just thought, you know, because Flashpoint was referenced so heavily in Rebirth, why not, like, tie it back into that and, I don't know, use Thawne or somebody that relates to Flash. Mm -hmm. I've never read Flashpoint. Um, I probably will eventually. 
I'm way smarter than me. But I was like, I can't remember why I did. I just don't think I was interested in it at the, at the time because I wasn't interested in. I wasn't interested in the resurrected Barry Allen. Right. So, I'm not in a petulant fan sort of way. Mm -hmm. I just simply wasn't interested. In it. Yeah. So. Are you interested now in the resurrected Wally West? Uh, a little bit. I'm not. I am not interested in the Titans anymore. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. You did. I understand. Yeah. When we met with Alan last week, where. I have a feeling it would be kind of like running into an old girlfriend and hooking up. Just not, <laughs> not as, as you reminded why you broke up in the first place. Do you feel like you've been burned on the Titans? Like I felt, I felt I was when the New 52 started, and I'm. I, the reason I'm not going to go back is that I feel like I'm over it. Okay, so why open the wounds? Yeah, why? Yeah, why? Why go back to something? Yeah. I did like the different chapter titles, like Legacy and Love, and yeah. I thought those were interesting. Well, I liked, I liked how he used Wally mm -hmm. as the anchor for the story, because you know, there were two characters that, for a while, didn't appear at all in the 52. The other one was Don. It, it bugged me. It bugged me that, you know, it always bugged me in the, in the 90s when people want to bury Allen to come back and things like that because it's just... I never had the nostalgia for that character, but then again... The only Barry Allen story I had ever read for years was Crisis on Infinite Earths oh, no. number 8. <laughs> so... <laughs> you know, the one where he died. Yeah. <laughs> I knew who the Flash was because I read the Super. I watched the Super Friends. But, yeah. Do you have any feelings over the fact that now Ollie and Dinah will actually like be aware of each other and may actually be together now? I like that. I am. Um, I really like. I think I told you like last year during the teacher work week. Um, somebody from one of the other schools gave me like three long boxes full of comics. Wow. Well. <laughs> I did a professional, but we did we do this. They call it the instructional fair, and it's basically like this whole day where everybody in the district meets at the high school, and you go from there are different sessions on things, and so I hosted one on comics and using comics in classes. Yep. And one of the people who attended was a elementary school librarian who said a friend of hers gave her this huge comic collection. And said, "Hey, maybe you could have it in the library," and she said that. I picked out the ones that were appropriate for little kids, but a lot of them weren't. And there was a ton, there were most, there was like half a box of 90s comics, which it's like required. Yeah. <laughs> and so there was some Ultraverse and Valiant and some Image. But then there was um, a huge amount of New 52 and a huge amount of recent oh, wow. Marvel. Okay. Especially like a ton of recent Spider-Man. And so I've been slowly reading through, through the boxes and then selling what I don't want and keeping what I want. And I'm up to Green Arrow. Okay. So I read the end of the old 52, so to speak, and, and the beginning of the new 52, and I'm a few issues in the new 52 series, and it feels like something's missing yeah. without Diana, because I like that couple. Mm -hmm. um, 
I liked it more when they had sort of a. When they had her kind of keep him in check type of, you know, because they, they, there was always some decent verbal sparring between the two of them in the ones that I've read. When they would portray her as kind of, they would overdo it with like they portray her as this weird sex fiend sort of like sometimes they would, you know, not that women can't. Sexual appetite, but they would—they yeah, would yeah. overdo it. They would—it would almost no, be to the point of caricature. Yeah. That would—that would get stale really quick. Like you know, it was like a one-note joke. Like he would be on Watchtower duty. Yeah, so and it's like, just like okay, we're we're Can doing. You take a break? Yeah, it, it yeah. became a very tired joke. Yeah. But, but no, I'm glad that they're doing that because they, that it really works out. She's—they're really good for each other. Yeah, I feel like there are a few couples in DC that really deserve to be get together mm -hmm. and you think they're synonymous with, you know, couples in DC like Lewis yeah. and Clark. Batman kind of jumps around so I don't think there's one set couple for him. And of course, you know, Dick Grayson's a little debatable, but I think, you know, no, Donna, yeah, I know. Donna and Ollie, I think it is one mm -hmm. of those people. And I just read Showcase 96 number 3 for Back Row Oracle because now it's like the first two appearances oh, really? of Birds of Prey. Mm. And, and um, Showcase 96 number 3 has Lois and Dinah teaming up hmm. in Metropolis to like uh, break down a white slavery. Oh, okay. And Ollie had just died in an airplane crash over, mm. it was over in, Metropolis. It was in Green Arrow. Like yeah. yeah, and she and Lois get to talking because apparently Superman had broken up with her. They were engaged, so they're no longer. Yeah, this, this is around the time when and she so, no, she yeah. had broken up with Superman. Oh, okay. she had she had um, called the engagement off. Oh, okay. So they're. I'm pretty sure Mike can correct me. <laughs> they're sharing stories, and Don at one point says that um, it's good that he's dead, or, or something like he deserved to die. Mm -hmm. And at the end, Willis asks, "You didn't mean that, did you?" And she said, "Well, I've given up years of my life for him, but he was more willing to sacrifice his life for the good of the city." And then Willis is like, "I know what that you know, I know that feeling." But it's just yeah, pretty interesting because there, there's a tragic element I think to that relationship as well. Mm -hmm. It's not always on the up and up. There's some yeah. bad moments to it, but as all real relationships have, yeah, they felt like they always felt like a real couple. Mm -hmm. I like how in, in Rebirth, how Wally, how he brought Linda into it as well. Linda, I, I started reading The Flash on the regular with Mark Wade, and he, I don't, I may be wrong. I don't know if he established. I think he was already with Linda at the time. They weren't married yet. But he really played up the idea that Linda was his, like, his reason. Like, his, you know, he always, came, like, if, you know, whenever he went into the Speed Force, like, he was, she was his focus point to come back. What books are you getting? Have you added any? I added Superman and Wonder Woman. Yeah, so I'll definitely be getting... Back row and Birds of Prey, or yeah, Back row and the Birds of Prey, and then Back row by itself, and then the Batman comics, since I'll be reviewing them for the Batman universe. I would almost consider getting Teen Titans, if only to see how Damien leads that team, which would be interesting, but 
I really love, I know you don't like Damien, uh, but I really love him, but I don't think that he fits on that sort of team. He's not really a team no. kind of guy. No. So I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how they're going to work writing him. I'm getting bad girl. I'm a little wary of the premise, though. Yeah, I'm a little nervous, too. I mean, this is second or third time that she's left to find herself. Doesn't it feel like a, a sitcom spinoff to you? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, new city, yeah. new new friends, new attitude. Like, like it's Joni Loves Chachi or something? Yeah, or it's when um, the OC, well, the, like the, what was it called? Well, I know. It wasn't the OC, but it was the uh, Laguna Beach. When Laguna Beach, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, turned into the hills, and then and then we had the new one uh, with Whitney when she went to New York City. That's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, I watched you're the first couple one. seasons of the hills. Yeah, it was such a train wreck. <laughs> when you follow a particular character and, and she moves off, I don't like the fact that she sort of pushed off everyone that she well, like her loved ones. Well, and and Ed. Ed was the person on your last episode, right? Yes. The most recent one. He had the point of of how she's the CEO of a startup. Yeah. That's not something that's, you know, unless yeah. there was an, it doesn't seem like there's a reason for her going there. Unless she was going there for, for actual business reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there, there's something, you know, Means or she's working on a development deal or something like there just this doesn't seem to be a plausible reason for her going to Japan. Yeah. Oops, you know. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's all a mystery because she went to the library, you know, to look up maps and then she's like, I'm going to Kyoto, Japan. Yeah. Why did you pick Kyoto? Yeah, I'm not She sure. spun the globe and just went like that. And yeah, okay, I'm going there. Basically. <laughs> But her apart from her father is something that I don't really like because I feel like we we're finally getting back to a good mm -hmm. relationship between that because that was something the New 52 did really poorly. Yeah. It was a good relationship between those two. And now with her, you know, halfway across the globe, what's that going to look like? Mm-hmm. I know. So, no, it's totally makes sense. Yeah. So, I'm going to give... I read Superman Rebirth because it's the only one that's come out of the ones that I, I put on my list, and I enjoyed it. But, and then like Greg Rucka's back on Wonder Woman. Yeah. So. It should be good, yeah. yeah because I, I dropped that book the second I saw the solicit for the first post Azarello issue. Yeah, I really liked the Azarellas. I liked it too. I have to reread it. It's been a while, and I liked it. I remember liking the art way more than the story sometimes. Mm, yeah. Because I thought Azarello was just going too slow at times. Well, the baby, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a, no, it was a really interesting storyline. Yeah. I just felt that there were entire issues where I was like, nothing really seems to be happening. Um, and but the minute I saw the solicit for the next issue, and honestly, it was the way she was drawn, I was like, I'm out. Because she was, I don't remember who the artist was, but it was issue like 34 or 35, and she looked like J. Scott Campbell had drawn her or something. It was totally, it was almost like a, it was, it reminded me of bad 90s, you know, quote, sexy women in yeah. comics and Cliff Chang had done such a great job of making her this like what you'd expect an Amazon to look like you know statuesque 
awkward at times because she's still not completely entrenched in the outside world. Yeah. But not like Justice League War awkward. Have you yeah. seen that direct no, video? I, have to see that. I don't recommend it. It was not a good one, but yeah. she was it was like, What is this? It's ice cream. What is ice yeah. cream? Like a foreigner, like an alien. Yeah. It was strange. But because she wasn't of the it felt like she was relatively new to the role. So not the like um Justice League, Justice League Limited, Wonder Woman, who clearly okay. had been Wonder Woman for a while, right. had that confidence, mm -hmm. but still wasn't a wasn't a, a dead. So, and then then I'll get back. I'm going to give them all six months. I figure if I give them one story arc. Well, let's hope Snyder's not influence them, and that one story arc is actually 15 issues. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll come back to Batman. How do you feel about the whole kind of coming back to pre-Flashpoint universe, if that's where we're going? Do you think that this is a good move, or do you think that, you know, they've made this commitment already, why not follow through and fix the broken items that are broken? And Instead of going um, back, I I didn't like the whole concept of the new Fifty Two mainly because I felt it was half to ask. Like it came out of to me, it came out of nowhere, and I got the feeling that for a lot of people, it came out of nowhere. Like, um, I really like Infinite Crisis, and there's a. There's a there's a nostalgic reason because Infinite Crisis when it came out about ten years ago now. Um, when Countdown came out, I was I had just moved here and I went, it was one of the f few first times I had gone to the comic store. Mm -hmm. And it was it was I, I had never planned on picking it up. I knew it was solicited, and when DC solicited, they solicited this DC Countdown. Mm -hmm. The cover, Batman holding Blue Beetle, was like really faded out, like you couldn't see what was going on on the cover. So you had to read the issue to find out what happened at the end. And it was just the solicitation was something on the order of this is we're offering it a dollar. And what happens will have a huge impact. And then there were all these series that they solicited, say, spinning out of the events of DC Countdown, and that's all they said. That there, were, there was Infinite Crisis was not you didn't know what Infinite Crisis was until the cover mm -hmm. of because it was called Countdown to Infinite Crisis. <laughs> but like I read that, I was like, all right, it's a dollar, I'll give it a shot. I read that, I was like, this is like I was like blown away. So I got all of the tie-ins leading into Infinite Crisis. I didn't buy all the Infinite Crisis crossovers because I couldn't afford it, but I remember it was like the first time in years I was back on message boards on the internet trying to figure out clues. Yeah. And they had planned it for like two years. Because there was a, it was a trade. It was, it was like one of those cheap, like, it was like four ninety nine or five ninety nine trades called Prelude to Infinite Crisis that DC put out. That was a, essentially a collection of stories and clips from various stories that seeded Infinite Crisis, going all the way back to the Titans Young Justice, the Death of Donna Troy oh, wow. series. Yeah, and it was almost like a clip show. It was almost like one of those. Did you ever watch Lost? 
Yes. All right. Remember how toward the end of the se- to the end of the series they would run like before the show they would run like half hour hour long shows of like here's a bunch of clips of stuff just to catch you up. Yeah. And, you and there'd be a voiceover. Of That's like, totally yeah. what it felt like. Yeah. And so to me it was like pretty cool that they had seeded this that far back when they hit Flashpoint and they were like we're resetting the DCU I'm like this doesn't make sense you're just doing this because of I don't know what. Um, my initial reaction when they announced Rebirth was meh. Still kind of meh. Like, we'll see where this goes. I'm not as invested in it. Which is why I think you should be on it, that episode with me, Mike, and Shag. Well, Let's talk I, about what we're reading. Yeah, I well, when he first solicited it, um, it was like collections or collecting, and I thought it was going to be more because now I feel like I'll be okay to mm-hmm. add that kind of. But I thought it was like you know when you started growing up, and I was thinking to myself, I you know I probably have like four long boxes. I don't think I can add conversation. No, no, I. Have- <laughs> but when he said like what you're reading now, yeah. and your and like history and stuff, that I can totally. Yeah, do. I am. No, I only have about four or five long boxes myself. I sold most of my comic collection years ago anyway. Yeah. No, I am not one of those people who has read every single... (laughs) Who knows, yeah. Or who needs to put in all the encyclopedic information when somebody brings up something about a comic. Yeah. Which drives me nuts. I'm like, congratulations, you're the Encyclopedia Britannica of comic fans. I don't need every comment to be the details of the storyline in which this panel that I posted takes place in like... Thank you? I feel like I'm being fansplained to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Batman fans are the worst with that, by the way. No, I'm sorry. The Batman fans are the absolute worst fans. Oh, dear. They're half the reason I don't read the character anymore. I have you encountered bad situations online recently? Not recently, because I don't read Batman anymore. But there's sort of... The sort of superiority that comes, feeling of superiority that comes with being a Batman fan. For not all, but for many. Yeah. And the, and then the inner thing of which version is better than the other. And the feeling, by the way. Version as in era? Era, iteration of the character. Okay. Writers and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Granted, I'm old. And uh, there are some versions I hated the other that I like more than others, but I don't, you know, if I don't care for an iteration of the character, I just don't read it, you know? Yeah. The other thing being that the feeling that if I'm going into a conversation about Batman, I have to double check that I have all my facts right or else I'm going to be corrected. That's what drives me nuts about talking about Batman on podcasts. I'm just like, I'm done with this. That's why you have to find your own little niche of mm-hmm. uh, superiority and... Not superiority, just, you know... Knowledge. Well, your knowledge, I guess. Yeah, so I'll stick to my comics about the Vietnam War. There you go. <laughs> and I'll stick to my Barbara Gordon podcast. <laughs> my comics there. I could do a Titans podcast, but I blog about them so much that I feel like I've already covered what I like about the Titans. And... 
because I considered doing a new Teen Titans podcast starting with DC Comics Presents 26 and going up to whenever I felt like stopping. But I looked at the size of that task. <laughs> it's yeah. enormous. Yeah. It's like 20, 30 years worth of comics at this point. You know, because I could go all the way up to the end of the the end of the old DCU. Because mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe three books in the mid two thousands, I have all of them. So I'm missing like I'm literally missing like two or three issues or something because mm-hmm. I stopped collecting for a while. So I could do it. I have the comics, the time. I just like, and I think somebody's actually already starting that anyway. Or there have been other podcasts that started that. So. Funny thing is, is that, and I had because the other thing that came, the other big news recently was Captain America number one, right? Which I had gotten, not because of the, and I knew the ending going in, uh-huh. because on Free Comic Book Day I got the preview, right? And I was like, oh, this looks really good. I'm putting it on my pull list. And that's why I was on my pull list. But I hadn't been able to get to the um, comic store on that Wednesday, so I avoided all the rebirth spoilers. I just basically uh, kind of no. went, so I kind of went offline. I couldn't avoid the Marvel, but I was like, all right, whatever. And I didn't overreact to it the way a lot of people have. My my reaction was, I think, very similar to I think Don had the, the reaction of, it's a storyline, you know, like calm. Down. The other. Uh, your way for you. Would you like some more orange juice? Or? I'm okay. You're okay? Thank you. I think the the thing that bugs me too is social media overblowing every little thing. Yeah. Casting announcements. Yeah. You know. So I was saying that's what ruined, that's what partially ruined Batman versus Superman for me. Mm-hmm. Just all of them. Yeah, because yeah, generally I like to go in to things with the, like a positive attitude mm-hmm. or like be optimistic you know yeah. but then when all this negativity is thrown in your face yeah. you start to like believe it before you have even seen it which I know. is unfortunate I know. and then there's a there's an overreaction on twitter to a lot of things and sometimes the reactions are very justified but sometimes you do sit there and you like i tend to keep my mouth shut mm-hmm. when when people react to something, especially if it's involving, sure, sure it's involving, um, you know, if it involves race or gender or something, I like, you know, and I'm just in agreement, like, okay, oh, if I'm in no. slight disagreement, I have to keep my mouth shut. Right. Hey, Debbie, Henry, how are you guys? <laughs> yeah. But, but sometimes I do wonder if, if the, the knee-jerk reaction and stuff is, is hurting more than helps yeah. when it comes to when it comes to stuff like that on Twitter. But. Without considering. Yeah, because I yeah. got into an argument with... It wasn't really an argument, but like a disagreement with Don about, um, you know, if they do an Iron Fist show mm-hmm. on Marvel, which I've been like, I really love Iron Fist, so yeah. I've been waiting for that. Should he be Asian? And so, like, you know, What's he's giving... I've never read no, Iron Fist. He's, he's white, white. Yeah. Right? Okay. And and I said, no, I don't think he should be. Because it like changes the whole dynamic, I think, between him and Luke. I mean, I guess you could do an, you know, an Asian with um, a black man. But then also, yeah. he dated Missy Knight. 
and I was like one of the first interracial couples in comics. So I just felt like it changed the dynamic of it. And you have like Shane Chi. So what then differentiates Shane Chi from Iron Fist? You know, yeah, that sort of thing. So those are my, I don't know. But I, I thought about it before I like, went after. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those are tough conversations to have. But I think that's it's been happening so much with like this whitewashing thing well, that pops up all over yeah. now. <laughs> no, and well, that's that's where it is frustrating. Where you have, where or or on the opposite side of where people get bent out of shape because you've taken a character that was traditionally white mm -hmm. or male and put a woman or someone of color into their costume for even a brief period of time. Uh, people get really upset. Like you're ruining my character. It's like, can't you look beyond that and just see where the story goes, you know? Yeah. Because I, I'm, I, you know, if, if it's a, 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 a terrible story, is a terrible story, no matter who does it, you know? And we've all read terrible comic stories, probably more than we've read good comic stories. But if like a female Thor or that, or Sam Jones as Cap yeah. or, or something is good, you know? People, people got upset with Bucky became Captain and all of a sudden, you know, they liked the character. It's hard to turn my brain off when it comes to that, too. Yeah. It's hard to get, it's hard to not get, like, just disgusted with fandom and not want to buy or read or watch something because I have to hear all this negativity. So. It's a great time to be a fan, it's also a difficult time. Yes, yes. Do you listen to any current comics podcasts by any chance? I don't. See, I don't either. Yeah. I can't keep up. And, and part of it is also because, and this is something that, you know, I tell Don, because I don't read Donovan's reviews, mm -hmm. you know, on Batgirl, is that I want to form my own opinion of things. Mm -hmm. And so I can appreciate listening to comics, podcasts, and things like that. Yeah. But I would rather like know my mindset going into it after reading it rather than hearing someone else talk mm. to me about it. So that's yeah. why I don't read Donovan's reviews because I want to read Batgirl for myself and review it for myself before mm -hmm. sort of being tainted by it. That makes sense. That makes total sense. I, I tend to not read the reviews of... They are doing well. Of movies that I want to see because... I want to go in, you know, with a clear head, mm -hmm. and I'll watch the trailers. I think that's about as much as I get. I don't listen to a lot of current pop culture events podcasts because I can't keep up with them. Like, I fall behind on podcasts really easily. There are only a few that I watch, that I listen to like right when they come out, and so if I'm if I'm listening to something that is about current comics, I'm going to be like a month behind really quickly. So I just and I don't think I think few podcasts are like mine where it's just like once a month. I yeah. think they're mostly like it could be weekly or bi-weekly, and that's really overwhelming. Yeah. Stuff for your yeah, iPod, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I have so many that I have to unclick episodes so that I can load up the ones I'm going to listen to, and it's like I cycle them in and out and yeah. stuff. Um, so. We, I'm trying to find a segue into Batman. 
Because I got you. All right, you. Did I recommend the show to you? I recommended Gravity Falls to you, but that's going to be a yeah, whole different topic of conversation for an entirely and different podcast. Crazy. Yes. I actually bought a Mabel shirt, a Mabel Pine shirt. Oh, wow. And I was hoping it was going to come. That's coming today. So I missed you by a moment. Um, I don't know if you recommended it. I think that it had been on my radar, oh, and okay. I knew that it was finishing up. And I kind of like, you know, when you know that there's mm-hmm. a definite end. So I thought, oh, I'm going to watch this, and it was on Netflix. So I started it last summer, I think, yeah. or in the spring or so, yeah. And then you would text me when random we, things when random things would happen. <laughs> yeah. but basically, like, Betty Draper is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, and I didn't pick it up right at the beginning. We watched... Uh, it goes back to before, like, we were renting the DVDs from Netflix. Okay. And it was... I think it was the first two. It was either at the end of season two or season three. Like I, I think can't remember, I think we went to the first two seasons okay. of Netflix, and then we caught up. Yep. And um, and would we wouldn't even watch it when it when it aired. We we tape we DVR it and then watch it maybe the next day or later on because 10 o'clock on a Sunday night the two of us are just like I don't want to be wired from this television show right, right before I go to bed yeah. for a Monday <laughs> so we would watch it we would watch it like Monday night at like 8 o'clock or something and just, and, um, but yeah so it was it was rough because what would happen was we, we and this happened with a few other shows we watched mm-hmm. where we rented the DVDs and binge watched the thing right. over the course of a few weeks and then all of a sudden I gotta wait yeah. for the show um, we both loved it for various reasons and one of them was I have this odd sort of attraction to that era in terms of just the sort of ephemeral culture of advertising actually and, and just the, the, the look of it the fashion and the and uh, and the way like I have I enjoy reading about the history of the suburbs for, I think it's because I'm from the suburbs and so that the whole aesthetic of that late 50s and into the 60s and through the 60s the 60s don't fascinate me in the way that they fascinate a lot of people I have no desire to be a hippie yeah but the whole I, the whole of the 60s does fascinate me because it was so tumultuous mm-hmm. like all the stuff that happened um and then, but the, the story, it was really well written. And what I liked about it was that they gave you characters that you could care about and follow when you were tired of Don Draper's crap. Yeah. Because he... Yeah. What's your feeling on Don Draper? <laughs> Don Draper? Yeah, uh, you know, I like Don. Um, I think, however, that he got stale after a while, like, mm-hmm. especially in the later part, because after yeah. a while, there's so much, only so much, like, I've stopped drinking, wait, I'm drinking again, like, yeah. that sort of thing, and you feel like he's been rehabilitated, and mm-hmm. then with women or something, and then, like, he falls off the track again. Yeah, yeah. But I liked in the beginning where, like, his past was, like, this shady, you don't know yeah. what's going on, and that was really interesting to figure out, like, who is this guy, and then... Yeah the Korean War experience and, and all that stuff. I think really the first half of the series mm-hmm. was the best for Don. Yeah. But you're absolutely right that he's sort of 
you know, a deplorable character, but he is an engaging character, and mm. I think that's partially due to the the actor himself, John Hamm, who is oh, yeah. just amazing. Yeah. yeah, I think they went to the Dick Whitman well a little too often later yeah. in the seasons. Like, you know, once you knew all the stuff, and I think it was after he after he told Betty all about it, mm-hmm. it kind of lost. And, and when he had told Megan like flat out, right, it kind of lost its like. It, Necessity, like mm-hmm. okay, now we know this about the character. We can move on, but they went back to it a little, yeah. a few too many times. Uh, but then, but then they started building all the other characters up around him. Mm-hmm. You know, even Pete Campbell, who I hated, oh, yeah. you were supposed to hate him. Yeah, he was such a little weenie, <laughs> such yeah. a weenie. But he was even he was a character that you started to care about, or like you know at least were interested in. So yeah. I think Peggy is one that really worked well with Don. And they had those really tense moments where, you know, there'd be hurt feelings on either side, but I think she really grew alongside him. And he gave her, I think, more trust and respect than the other characters that he just saw her for mm-hmm. her femininity, basically being a woman. So that was a, that was a story that I really enjoyed. Did you, um, now you're a shipper. <laughs> yes. Peggy is probably the most shipper tastic character because, like, she was <laughs> the one who they kept because she had been because yeah. her and um, oh, Abe was that the guy's name? She was li- they were kind of living together at one point in that rat hole apartment. She was, she was oh owning. yeah, and then and then um, she, I don't think she ever hooked up with Ginsburg, but. But that was a, it was, it had the potential, even though it was, um, he flipped out. Right. He was, oh my God. Were you a, were you a steggy? Uh, Her and Stan, my, my wife, my wife would, my wife was very big on steggy. Steggy, which yeah. is how they ended up. They ended right up that way. Yeah, she was. My wife was like excited. When yeah, I think um, I don't know if I saw anything romantic. Like for me, at the very end, and it was a bummer because Netflix had one through seven point five basically, mm. and didn't have like the they rest split the, of that's they yeah. Split the and so I had to wait a very long time. But for me, I felt like that final episode, that relationship came out of nowhere. You could tell that there were. Um, I felt like they had a nice relationship, but not like a loving. Like when they were revealing that, I thought, "Where's this?" I, it, to me, it felt it was the most. Actually, I felt it was the most television out of any of the relationships because it felt like your classic. <laughs> unresolved romantic tension between two people who work together mm-hmm. thing that they've done on so many sitcoms and dramas over the years that her that the sort of end of it all that was like you know I have to tell you this sort of it was very it was very very television show but I, I like that yeah. it was, that was kind of fun I actually really liked her and and I'm forgetting his name now though who um was at that other company, and then they consolidated and came together. I remember he had a wife. He had a wife and kids. Oh, um, I know the guy. He had a breakdown. And, and yeah, and and he he ended up going to Los Angeles yeah. because he couldn't he couldn't deal. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember. 
Yeah, and I, I don't remember yeah. his name, but I, I, I can, but I I can see two. the actor yeah. in my head. Yeah, they were really good. So. I actually, something I really also regret about this series, the direction that it took, is I really wanted Peggy to go off and start up that company with... Um, Joan? Yeah. Because I thought that would have been that would have been great. Like these two women who have been sort of under, you know, mm -hmm. men basically for this entire show, starting off on their own. I thought yeah. that would be definitely the direction that Peggy should take, and that's not what happened. Yeah. But then I wondered if like they were trying to send the message of here's one woman striking out her arm, but here's the other one who's gonna who's gonna get there from the inside or okay. something. You know, because yeah. they're heading into the seventies. So there's almost like the two sides to that revolution in a sense. That like, you know, one of them is it's almost like it's not completely working girl, but right. you know, that sort of that yeah. sort of thing maybe. But yeah. I think they both won though in the end. Yeah. I like Joe as a character though. Yeah. I always felt like she would um, end up with Roger. Yes. I'm forgetting all these people's names so I can see their faces. <coughs> I felt like at the end they would get together. Yeah. Roger Roger was a favorite character of both of ours because just the 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 wisecracks and yeah. the comments and the, the stupid shit he always said yeah. and that sort of stuff. So that was that was what made him fun. Yep, we got one in the back washing so. dishes right now. And make it smell good. Your mother would always Played by Julia Armand. Yeah, I know. It was, I don't think I'll go back and watch the show. Yeah. Like, there are certain shows that I've gone back and watched a couple times. I've done a rewatch. Right. Or that I'll catch in reruns. Usually those shows I catch in reruns are sitcoms or The Simpsons or something. Mm -hmm. but dramas I don't tend to unless it's like... Alright, I admit to you, I think I've watched both Freaks and, Freaks and Geeks in my so-called life about five or six times all the way through. Well, so. Freaks and Geeks? There are only, there aren't that many seasons, yeah, There's only one season of each okay, show. Okay, oh, okay. I didn't think so, yeah. Yeah, and those are sort of the DVDs that I own, you know, yeah, like I, I have, have lost on mm -hmm. because I really liked that and things like that. I would agree with you that I think this is one of those one-time viewings because mm -hmm. I think if you watch it again, it would lose its initial like luster almost, yeah, yeah. that it has with it and um, you wouldn't be as shocked as some of the things like the first time that I saw Eddie Draper take out that shotgun and start so shooting the pictures I don't I probably would still laugh but the, when I saw that I was like what is she doing it's crazy did you not I mean her, her final story arc was so heartbreaking and yet did you not love the way she went out where she was just like on her terms in a sense absolutely yeah yeah and then finally, I feel like making right with Sally, <laughs> who she's not really had the best relationship with. Yeah. But yeah, that was good. Yeah, she, I don't know, she was probably the most damaged character. She underwent a lot, I think. Yeah, well, because I think Bobby was too young. Yeah. And Bobby was kind of a doof. Yep. Jean was a baby. Yep. But yeah, you're right. Sally, Sally bore the brunt of yeah. all of the, all of the divorce and all of her father's 
shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, because she, she, she's the only one. Yeah. yeah. Who knew? Yeah. And then her grandfather, who used to read to her the yeah. Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then he passed away. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it all started with her putting on that uh, weird plastic casing and saying she's an astronaut, remember? Mm-hmm. Huh. Sally Draper. Yeah. She's probably, I think, my favorite character. I've enjoyed watching her grow up through the show. Mm-hmm. Um... I always, I'm, I was, I'm always curious as to what happened to them after. That. Like, that's the mark of a good show, though. Like with a show like that, what did happen to them into the rest of the decade and into the eighties? Yeah. Um, I had a a joke that if I don't think the math works out, but in my mind, Sally Draper grows up to be Heather Locklear's character on Melrose Place. Oh wow! <laughs> okay. <laughs> Better her than uh, Shannon Doherty. Yeah, better her. Than perhaps. <laughs> but um, but it's not something I'd want to see. Mm-hmm. Like, I, were we talking with, about that on mic or off mic sequels? Maybe. <laughs> I should have recorded earlier. Sequels of what? Just like Watchmen and Dark Knight. Yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where this would be, you know that somebody wants that. Somebody wants the yeah. sequel movie. Somebody wants the, mm-hmm. the spinoff. But it's so not necessary. Yeah. We can just speculate in our heads or speculate on the internet because that's what the internet's for. Mm-hmm. Like whatever happened to Sally Draper? Like you know, what happened to Dawn? Yeah. Um, one of, actually, one of my favorite characters in the show was the guy that Betty married, oh, yeah. Henry. Yep. Only because he totally looked like the character he was playing. Mm-hmm. Like, the way they did him, the makeup and everything. Having grown up in New York in the 80s, and he looked like one of my uncles, my great uncles or something. Like, you know, or, or those... The, the photographs or footage I've seen of the politicians from the 70s and stuff. He just looked, he totally looked that role and he played the role well. And I, I liked how she got this guy who was the complete opposite of Don and yet was never fully happy with him. Yeah. I don't know if she's going to be content with anyone, really. Yeah. So. Any other big character? I, I liked, and you were talking about the time period, I think yeah. that's one of the draws for me. Um, I think prior to this, I had just watched Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. you know, and that's like, there's only so much of that that you can take. Yeah. Um, but the period drama was a, a real draw for me, and I liked, when I was watching if they mentioned something, I would like look it up and say, like, oh, what is this? Yeah, they did a really good job with the context. Yeah. And like, even obscure events, well not obscure events, but like the plane crash that Pete's dad died in was an actual plane crash, but it was it was only one of those events that people in that area know about, but it's not like the type of thing you find in a history textbook, you know, but you know what, you're right. Yeah. There was one episode, if you remember the dog food episode, mm-hmm. where she was losing all of her clients because that movie had just come out, and people were realizing that horse meat was going into the dog food. Do you remember that? And so I was like, oh, yeah, this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I ended up seeing it on TCM. It was uh, Clark Gable. It was his last one, Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe, and he had like died two weeks after filming. Oh, really? So, so that was kind of interesting, like you could... Yeah. yeah. Well, I also liked how they weave the um, the big events into it, like mm-hmm. the Kennedy assassination yeah. and the moon landing and stuff, yeah. and, and how 
they worked in they worked it in there either sometimes even subtly mm-hmm. or or realistically. Right. You know, um, like you knew Kennedy's assassination was coming at some point, mm-hmm. and they and it, they did this whole thing where it just seemed like everything stopped right. for that and yeah. having both of us having lived through an event that did kind of stop everything for the better part of at least a few weeks in life. It felt very real. I, I liked I liked how they did that without having sort of without leading up to it. Because I guess that you wouldn't have led up to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, shocking. Yeah, place. how would you? That's how shocks work. Yeah. So. Which they could do with the space landing, though, because I remember they were yeah. talking a lot about that. And yeah. They, I think they went to Los Angeles or someplace, and yeah. they're like, we have to be in the hotel room at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. which is different. It's yeah. different than, say, yeah. the, you know, something that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. They did some of the stuff with... They didn't do a lot with Vietnam. Mm. Um, it was just starting, wasn't it, it really? Was, by the time... By the time the show ends, it's at its height, mm, okay. um, and the, trying to trying to get my dates right. We essentially pull out '73, and the war officially ends in '75. So by '68, '70, '71, like that's the heights. That's where. But it, they didn't do as much as I thought they would with that, or with Woodstock. Yeah, or with the general, I guess, displeasure of you know, do we fight against this war or not? Yeah. Which you do get a little bit with Sally because she's really the only one that's there. Sally and the the creepy neighbor oh my boy. God. <laughs> Let's not forget him. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh. What was his name? Um, yeah. Oh, he was creepy, and then especially in the end, he was going to. Yeah, he was. He was drafted. I yeah. think wasn't he? Those really. But but then again, it it made total sense that like Don and Pete and all those characters would be completely disconnected from the counterculture, mm-hmm. and except for the last few episodes, right? Except for the time where he did encounter hippies. Yep. Or, or the war, because they were, it was just not something that was directly affecting them. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, that makes sense to me, but at the same time, it was it was one of those things. They didn't avoid it, it's just, it wasn't on their, within their... What did you think about, I'm glad you brought that up, about the end with Dawn? And that was, it was a little weird with Sarah Lance. Yeah, really yeah, no, it's but Sarah Lance. Like, <laughs> and then every time, and, and I've, I've watched, States, I've yeah. watched Legend of Tomorrow. Yeah. And I watched the whole season, and I'm like, yeah, that's the chick from Mad Men. Yeah. And she left, and then he he ends with. Stayed and has that weird vision of the '73 maybe or '72. Yeah, but I'd like to teach the world the yeah, same. Yeah, which was one of the first big like multicultural ads that yeah. they had. Yeah. Yeah. What was your opinion? Because I know that it was the endings to these shows are never liked. You ever notice that? I mean, I think maybe I've never seen Breaking Bad. I got the feeling that the I don't know. I got the feeling that the end of Breaking Bad was something that satisfied a lot of people. But I have to watch the show. I know that the ending to The Sopranos is something that ticked a lot of people off because it's just so ambiguous. 
the ending of Lost, I feel like I'm the only person who liked the last episode of Lost. Um, because I felt like I was one of the few, I was, I was one of the only people who didn't boil it down to like one sentence because that's not what the episode yeah. was about. Yeah. But like, every time a show like this ends, it's almost like you know going in, nobody's going to like the end. Because it's not going to be the ending that they want. And I felt like that was the way with Mad Men, although in a sense, I don't know, to me it made total sense that he was either that he like on some level it's like did he find did he find inner peace or he did he just think up the next big idea like did it go back to that episode where he won the Cleo award and he had basically said that the award kind of symbolizes that you're actually on your way down that you've peaked right because you're only as good as your next idea yep. and he and it did kind of start his decline mm-hmm. which where he bottomed out with that disaster of that Hershey's ad pitch yeah. was that when he revealed his like he talked about yeah, and, yeah. And, and he was drunk in the meeting yeah. and everything and he got um, I think that was the season finale and I think in the next episode which was the season premiere they had basically they hadn't laid him off because it was a partner yeah. but that was where he was secretly giving Freddie all of his ideas and yeah. Freddie was doing all the pitching so but that's why I like the ending because it totally made sense for his character and I like bookends because it, because the series opened with a commercial mm-hmm. and it ended yeah. with a commercial and I like yeah. that for shows because yeah. I'm a dork like yeah, I imagined, once I thought about it, because I thought, well, this is a very strange ending. I thought that the whole, his whole cross-country journey was odd, because yeah. first he was trying to find that woman, and I saw online that, did that woman ever exist? Was she like a phantom in his mind, that sort of thing? So that was interesting. But then he just yeah. keeps going, and he goes over to that girl, um, which I can kind of understand, because her aunt, right? Yeah, it? It her aunt close. was his. Her her aunt was, I think, his fake IDs first wife. It was right, right, right. was the real yeah. Don Draper's um, wife. Yeah. Um, so that, but then they went to that <coughs> weird place, and uh, yeah. she had just had. Did she have an abortion, or was she pregnant? It was something like that? Because yeah. I remember she was in a downward spiral. Yeah. And she left, and I'm just like, what is going on? I just couldn't imagine how it's going to end up. And he's just sitting there, and it was nice to see him smile because he doesn't smile that much. Yeah. Legitimately. And I wondered if, because before he left, they offered him the Coca-Cola ad. So I wondered if maybe he does come up with it. Maybe he goes back and he has this great idea thing. Yeah. But it is nice to see him if he does finally find peace. Because that character was troubled throughout the entire series. So it would be nice to think that yeah. it ends on uh, a positive note. Which I think it does for him. Yeah. There was also something in that whole last two seasons where the company got bought out by McCann. Yeah. And you're a teacher and I'm a teacher. And we have, you and I have probably read so many blog posts, tweets, articles, heard so many people talk about creativity. Right. And letting students do their thing and all the, some of it which is very legitimate, some of it is like hippie, hippie crap. But it's an interesting look into creativity. 
an interesting look into how ideas get made and how you as the creative person can come up against the sort of corporate structure or bureaucratic structure or how you always have to please the people in charge so you're always working like at that when they were at McCann McCann had that system in place and whereas Sterling Cooper Draper Price whatever it was at one point or another Don had a lot of free reign and so did Peggy in terms of like what they would pitch because they were always they were the they were the smaller they were scrapping they were like scrappy underdogs and they were and then they they, they get merged into the big house and the big house has its procedures right. like oh we invite everybody to the pitch meeting and I remember that was like one of the reasons he left the pitch meeting because it was like wait a second I thought I had the account and I'm coming in and I'm competing with all these other people like what the heck is going on here and there and it just it reminded me of how like how we were always granted from the teacher perspective how we're always telling kids oh be creative and then like the actual business side of creativity is so much different than creativity itself I remember going to my college advisor my senior year and saying I feel like I've learned a lot about writing but nothing about being a writer how do I become a writer and he gave me a lot of advice that much of it good much of it did not plan it pan out it's my own fault (laughs) but it, he he just sat there. I said, and, I, and he was like, he was really straight with me and gave me this sort of up and up on like, you know, this is how hard it is to make a living as a writer. And I think that was really interesting to see in the context of these big ad companies of this is how really hard it is to be a creative person in the business world. And, you know, when you are up against people who really don't care what your creative vision is, they have something in mind and they want you to turn around and work it and work their idea and stuff like that. And I feel that I feel sometimes that we're I'm up against that. You know, where it's like, oh, we can do interesting things in class, but hey, show me your test data. Yeah. But <laughs> so, yeah. I mean that that angle for me was yeah. was interesting. So. Any other thoughts on it? Um, I once looked up if the actors were actually smoking in real life, mm-hmm. and they used some sort of like marshmallow or something. Oh, interesting! Like marshmallow uh, cigarette thing that I don't think it has like the, the bad stuff, you know. Uh-huh. But it's so bad. But the amount of I, I think that's why um, John Hamm's voice was always like very grabby yeah. because the amount of smoking that they had to do was constant. That was one thing when I was watching it, like just astounded by the amount of alcohol that was, and the smoking. I was like, what the is alcohol? Going on? The alcohol was astounding to me. Um, just wanted to it but I knew, but I knew that it's that's not my parents' generation. It's more like my in between my grandparents and my parents in many cases. Because my grandfather was in World War II. My dad was in Vietnam. So my dad in 1959. Dad was Sally Draper almost. Yeah, yeah. My dad was born in 45, and my mom was born in 47. So they would have been. Yeah, they would have been. 
tweens gotcha. yeah. around, or my dad would have been 15 when the, 14, 15 when the show started, my mom would have been about 12, 13, they're two years apart. Um, but like, my grandfather was probably more like Roger Sterling's age, but knowing a lot, I mean, many of the people I knew from that generation have passed on, but knowing a lot of those um, old men, when they were old men, I can totally see the drink. Because my, my grandfather drank himself to death, essentially. And, and But like I, I knew the, the, that sort of like these old men who constantly smelled like scotch. Yeah. The smoking didn't surprise me because this is where our age difference comes into play. <laughs> You came of age in an era where smoking in the workplace mm -hmm. and smoking in, in restaurants yeah. was really on the, like, was in its last, was in its yeah. death throes, essentially. It was, like, really, I think by the time you hit your teenage years, I was trying to think, because you were born in 86. You're always so disgusted. Young. I'm not disgusted. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm old. But yeah, no, like I just remember that in the late '90s, like smoking was essentially banned in all our workplaces. Whereas my my dad smoked until about 18. He quit about 30 years ago, and there was the smoking sections in Russia. Like you could go, there was a non-smoking smoking section with McDonald's back when I was a little kid. So the idea of smoking being around the workplace and stuff, yeah, I encounter it here and there mm -hmm. but like you know like the faculty lounge at my elementary school and yeah. junior high school reeked of cigarette smoke because back then you could do that you could, the yeah. teachers could smoke in the faculty lounge and it wasn't until I think I was in junior high or high school they started banning that too uh, yeah. and I remember I actually specifically remember I was in government class in 12th grade and we had to go to a county board meeting mm -hmm. which I don't know if you've ever had to go to one no Boring. Okay. So boring. So procedural, right? Okay. I've been to two in my entire life. Uh, one of them was a few years ago when my school, when my county that I work in, threatened to cut the school district budget by two million dollars, and there was such an outcry that they had to move the meeting from the county office building to the high school's auditorium, and they it was standing room only because the people were so ticked off. Wow. It worked. The other one was this meeting we went to when I was in high school as part of a government field trip. A bunch of us went. And they were debating and putting a final vote to making restaurants in the county, Suffolk County, New York, um, either you either had to go completely non-smoking or if you had a smoking section, it had to be a literal separate room. Like you had to wall it off or, or partition it off so that the secondhand smoke couldn't get on the smoking section. And the restaurants and managers went nuts because they were like, this is going to bankrupt us. And it, it did, but the sort of sky is falling. I mean, yeah. That made it interesting because otherwise it was, it was just procedural crap. You know, this, you know, this uh, easement for this waterway, <laughs> this building permit, <laughs> you know, like that's what local government is. It's built its permits and property taxes. And stuff. My friend who actually graduated from William Monroe, because I told her I was going to go visit. Oh, really? And she asked me if I went to the teacher lounge, and I said no. And she's and I asked if she had ever been, and she said, yeah, I went in and saw a cloud of smoke because she was around at the time.
time. When did she? When did she graduate? Uh, I'm not sure. Much long before I started teaching. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think she's early forties, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So, but that's what just yeah. reminded me of it. And it's interesting because didn't the series start the um, Surgeon General warning? Didn't that like that was at the big, very yeah, beginning, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, Because they had one of their um, big clients was a cigarette. Company. It was Lucky Strike. Yeah, it was that guy. Which yeah, and then they lost. And they lost yeah. Lucky Strike. Um, yeah. About halfway through the series, I think that was like a huge. I remember that was a huge deal because that was like their biggest account, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I did like sometimes when they had. They had. I know they had some fake brands, but mm -hmm. it was always kind of fun when they had. Um, real brands yep. and you can see them trying to pitch these real brands yeah. and the one that I remember the most there were two one I've used the clip of him pitching the Kodak carousel from it's like from the first season I think it's from the first season yeah, finale yep. and, and I've used it in class to talk about presentations mm -hmm. and like you know what is he doing the other thing that I the other one that I really like and I haven't used it but I really like the clip is where they did the it was patio which was basically diet Pepsi it became diet Pepsi okay and it was a commercial where they did a version of the opening of Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And they yeah. were trying to figure out what's wrong with it, and just Roger just looks at him and goes, she's not Anne Margaret. Yeah. And it was like, they're like, yeah. But it just reminded because I've seen... The only thing I ever remember from Bye Bye Birdie yeah. is the opening of Bye Bye Birdie because of Anne Margaret. Yeah. And in the words of Shaq, she's hot. She's hot. <laughs> Anne Margaret's gorgeous. Oh, I Especially actually, in the yeah. 50s and 60s. Um, but yeah, I just remember that. And I, I always love them pitching like actual products, like where, where Pete would bring up like Clearasil or yeah. something. And what about High Line? Remember that? That was way too funny. <laughs> Does that, that always makes me, always reminds me of the opening of Miami Vice because they had a clip of somebody in a High Line court oh, on the opening of Miami Vice. Yeah. yeah. Um, there were some rather interesting scenes there, like the lawnmower incident. Yes, remind where the where they were they were riding the lawnmower oh, in the office and the person yeah. got his like leg chopped off yeah. or whatever, and then Lane Price um, hanging himself. Same, yeah. yeah, that was really sad though. Yeah. And I I felt that he was almost like us in a way mm -hmm. that none of us would ever we would be completely in over our heads in a place like that. Yeah. And it totally was. So. And I liked him too because he yeah. was funny in that sort of uptight English, English funny way. way yeah. yeah. And then of course someone has to take his office too. Yeah. Yeah. Awkward. Yeah. All right. So final thoughts on that. Final thoughts. Yeah. On I mean, is is this one of those? I think it's one of those shows that nobody's ever seen. Like I got my parents to watch it. Yeah. My parents don't watch that yeah. sort of stuff. You know. They yeah. watch Outlander. <laughs> and and, and they watch Blue Bloods. I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's what my parents watch yeah. too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think that. 
I would recommend it for yeah. sure. Especially, I think it'd be awesome for someone growing up at that time to be like nostalgic yeah. almost and, and watch it. Um, and I must have talked about it a lot, I think, to my mom when I was watching because she remembered Betty <laughs> shooting the yeah. So, I mean, there are some comical moments, there are some dark moments, mm -hmm. but I think it's overall it's a great journey to be on. Yeah. Now, I've had a lot of conversations with my parents about it, and some of the, even some of the, um, the set design and the fashion and that sort of stuff. Um, I remember having a conversation. My, my father is into home improvement like crazy. Granted, like my parents' house, like the color palette is becoming increasingly gray for some reason. Okay. But he will. He, they will remodel rooms. I think because they can afford. I, I don't know. They just are always remodeling stuff, which adds value to the house. So that's good because there will come the day where my sister and I have to sell the house, and, you know, and, and we'll get more money for it. Um, it's got a good location. Anyways. It's, it's about a block and a half of the water. It's in a great location. Oh, wow. so, um, but we're talking about how their ugly their kitchen was. And my dad was saying how back then the kitchen was not a room that you put a lot of attention right. to yeah. remodeling-wise because you ate in it sometimes, but mostly like you paid attention to the living room and the dining room and, and the family room and the kitchen were just kind of functional. And yeah. I found that interesting because it's kind of so gone the other way if you watch enough HGTV, which is what my parents watch a lot of. Okay. You know, one of the remodeling shows. Yeah. Or like you know, they're so into that. I'm just like, or house hunters, like those type of shows yeah. where people go and they want to, you know. And granted, I bought a. We moved last year, so when we were when we were moving, the one of the reasons we chose our house was that um, we want to remodel the kitchen we're in, but they had taken what was the people who owned the house before us had taken what was a kitchen and a separate dining room and knocked out a wall and made a huge kitchen, and we were like, this is an appeal because we don't have to knock down the wall and make the kitchen. So. Yeah. But now, yeah, just stuff like that, we'd have conversations about. But now, yeah. And it's interesting because, if I'm to get nerdy with you a little oh, bit, yeah, go like ahead. classically with Romans and everything, the kitchen, I mean, the slaves would be back there, so you don't want to see them. The bathroom uh -huh. would be back there. It's a very, like, improper room to be huh. seen in and everything. And, of course, the dining area and where you receive your guests, that's what the focus is on. So I always do a project where they have to plot out or plan out their house. Oh, and then we look at it and I'm like, hey, what are the differences yeah. and things like that? And that's one of the things I notice is that the kitchen now is a very communal room, whereas the hearth normally mm -hmm. would have been. So it sort of switched that way. Yeah. There was something about the origin of the phrase living room in, it's like in, it goes back to like Victorian era England and something about, there's a book that Bill Bryson wrote. Um, I think it's going back about 10 years called Home. And it literally is a history of the modern day home, room by room. And he goes into a lot of history, especially English history that affects America. And yeah, that idea of the parlor and the formal living room and the dining room and how it's changed. And the living room gets something about. It honestly has to do something with funerals, but I can't remember what it oh, is. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The Victorian era is, there's so much weird death stuff. <laughs> uh, so, I think that's it. I mean, we had okay. our pancakes. That is, and they were yummy. They were very good. They were very Chocolate good. Chocolate chip pancakes yes. for the win. <laughs> 
So um, I never actually introduced you. I, I figured uh, I would just come in from a break and, and we'd be talking or just be, it's cinema verite yeah. or podcasting verite. It just happens to happen. I guess I should say where we can find you. Uh, you can find me in Gravity Falls, dealing with some weird stuff. But you can also find me at the thebatmanuniverse.net where I am on my own show, Backworld Oracle, the Barbara Byrne Podcast. And then I do the bi-weekly show, the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. And comic book film review. I always forget that one. <laughs> and uh, I'll be back to wrap things up or do some listener email or something I haven't decided yet. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spaway, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their backroll year one work, Brian Q. Miller on his backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the backroll spoiled the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. And I'm back. Um, I'm going to close out this episode uh, with some feedback. I haven't do, done feedback for a while, um, and I have masked enough to do a feedback portion. Uh, this is from various sources about various episodes uh, of both Pop Culture Affidavit, the main podcast, as well as the DC Comics 80 Years miniseries. First email comes from Richard Matsumoto from May 23rd. His subject is The Slow Clap. Hello. I've just recently begun to listen to your podcast. I'm hooked. I started with the excellent Taking Flight podcast. I'm only up to around the episode following your podcast about Camp By Me Love. Great movie. Then I heard you, and I heard you read an email regarding the slow clap. 
In the summer of 1985, between my junior and senior year of high school, the movie Lucas was filmed at my high school and other locations in the Chicago suburbs. I was fortunate to have been an extra for the movie. Toward the end of 1985, the producers wanted the ending to be a bit more happier. They came back to my high school for one day that December for a reshoot. I was asked by the director, David Seltzer, to stand up against the locker and give the camera a mean-looking face. This is as Lucas walked down the hallway to his locker. This led to the slow clap in Lucas. It started with Charlie Sheen and the main cast members, then led the then the camera panned toward the extras, including me. I want to say I was one of the first extras to join in on the slow clap. I know I'm like three years behind with the podcast, and I was wondering if you had seen or discussed Lucas and its slow clap. That movie came out in March 1985. Susie and Siskel and Ebert both gave it four stars reviews. I, it was a box office flop. I guess over the years it's been some sort of a, sort of a favorite among fans of teen movies. The film had Charlie Sheen, Jim Reeve Heaven, Courtney Thorne-Smith, Winona Ryder, and Carrie Green. Um, I have not reviewed the movie yet, Richard. Um, I it's one that's it's on my list somewhere because it's and I will admit it's been a good probably a good thirty years since I've seen Lucas by now. I've seen it once or twice and I remember enjoying it. Uh, it's. I have a very huge master list of things I'm going to cover either on the blog or the podcast, and it's on there. And that's a really fascinating story. So if I do get around to covering it, I may uh, get in touch with you for, for a comment or two or something. But uh, thank you for writing in. I hope you're enjoying the rest of the shows. Uh, and feel free to keep writing in, um, even though you're a little bit behind on the on the episodes and stuff. Our next email is from Luke Giaconetti from May 25th, and the title of this email is... It's so hot, we put it in a lava bag! This letter is actually to both me and Michael Bailey, um, so I think he sent the, and he sent the two, he sent it to both of us, so at some point in... Uh, the future, you may hear this on Views from the Lawnbox as well. Uh, this is in response to the two-parter that we did about American Entertainment, Entertainment This Month, and Wizard Magazine. Uh, and he writes, My fellow extreme 90s dudes, uh, the 1990s were heady days, my friends. As a kid who started reading and collected comics for reals in 1991, Marvel's Toxic Avenger number one, I would always look back on this era with fondness, including the sheer inanity of entertainment this month and the goofy air quotes up to the mic journalism of Wizard Magazine. He literally wrote air quotes up to the mic. Uh, I do not think I ever personally ordered from ETM. I think my brother did order a set of X-Force number one where you got all five of the cards, but what I remember besides the ads was the catalog. What we did a few times was go through the catalog and mark what we wanted, then bring it to our original LCS owned by a husband and wife team. Her name was Sue. I think his name was Tom. And I'll be damned if I can remember the name of the shop, which is long since closed. But my brother did not buy any mainstream comics, mostly buying old EC reprints and Dark Horse licensed books. So what was hot didn't make much of an impact on him. I was still nascent in my readership and wouldn't start chasing trends until later. But it was due to the ETM catalog that I discovered the upcoming Dark Horse Godzilla color special, one of my most beloved comics of all time. My first issue of Wizard was number 15 with Wetworks on the cover. I think I had that too. My first issue might have been one or two before that. I initially was buying the magazine with my comics at then LCS slash Pace of Summer Employment, comics, cards, and video stop, as well as as featured in the Battle Valiant Bulletin Board in the pages of Turok Dinosaur Hunter number one. That's a shoot, by the way. But soon after, I subscribed to it. My father paid for my subscription for many years. It was a fixture in my life through junior high, high school, college, and even afterwards. I was still getting it in the mail by issue number 200. 
I had the pullout poster to number 22, the Joe Quesada of cover of Deadpool, Sabretooth, Omega Red, and Apocalypse, pinned over my desk in my parents' house for years on end. I had a shoebox full of the promo cards, which I hung on to for years. Wizard always puts me in a nostalgic place. Just paging through the cover browser brings back a flood of memories for me. It was sophomoric and juvenile, but dang if it wasn't fun. And here, here on the specials, I have the Dark Book, the Superman special, and the X-Men Anniversary special, and have each of read each of them countless times. That they haven't fallen apart on me is amazing. Naturally, I read the Dark Book before I read Watchmen, so oops on that. But I learned a lot about the DC Silver Age from that and the Superman special, priming me for having having my eyes open to the full force and brunt of the history of DC Comics in the 2000s. Great stuff. It's hard to explain to younger fans what the 1990s really were like, especially for me, as I was really just a kid at the start of this inanity and then a teenager as it ended. But say what you will about ETM and especially Wizard, but there was an excitement in the hobby. There was a lot of new and different and just downright unusual stuff going on. So I had to thank you both for this two-part episode, which brought me back to my misspent youth, laid out on my bedroom floor with MTV on in the background and a pile of comics next to me. Truly, those were days of glory. And if you ever want to talk about more 1990s stuff, I'll be there with pouch belts and shoulder pads on. Keep it extreme, Luke. Um, thank you for the email, Luke. I don't have much else to add to that. Um, aside from the fact that uh, check out the second half of that special if you hadn't with, with me and Mike Talking Wizard. Mike does a much better job in that episode than I do because I was falling asleep at that point. It was it was really late at night. Um, also, I would recommend going through oh, it's like episodes like 232 to 239 or something of Views from the Long Box. Mike did episodes about Heroes Were Born. He did episodes about... He did this great two-parter about X-Men in the 90s, first covering um, the Jim Lee uh, X-Men series from issues 1 to about 13, with some talk about Uncanny and some of the other books. And then the second part of that was him talking about the Executioner song, which was uh, the crossover that happened right after Jim Lee and and Rob Liefeld and and all of them left those titles. Um... Those were my prime X-Men collecting days, so it was a, a real hoot to hear that stuff talked about. It was really fun to listen to. And I'm in the middle of listening to his episode with Donovan Morgan Grant about DC versus Marvel, the 95-96 crossover. So there's some really good stuff, courtesy of Mike and Views, if you want to talk 90s and or hear people talk 90s. And I have some plans to cover some 90s stuff uh, when I get the chance somewhere in the hopper. So, so stick around for that stuff uh, as as the year goes on and the years go on. Other comments. Um, We've got... I've got some blog comments. Uh, That was the last email. Um, Not all of them that I've gotten recently, but some worth mentioning. On Comics Prehistory Return of the Jedi, Anthony says, I purchased this one from a multi-pack as well, though I couldn't tell you what store I bought them from. Other throwaway comics include uh, the A-Team. Around this era, I I remember starting to collect Blue Devil. Shag would be very happy with that. That was an interesting comic that soon became its own joke, and I had to stop buying it. I wonder whatever happened to the artist Paris Collins. I seem to remember his art being above the norm for that time. I know Paris Collins also did Blue Beetle for a while, I think. I think he's still kicking around. He still makes appearances at comic conventions and stuff like that. 
Um, he also had this comment about my post on Transfers number one. He said, it brought, I bought this one at Becker's, a now-defunct convenience store. I got the whole series, but I was unhappy when my four-part series is rewritten into an ongoing series. I didn't get too many after that. The cover on this issue was fantastic. I, like you, really love the miniseries idea. There were some great ones, including The Secret Wars, and there were a few, a few flops. Andy Leyland, who you heard me talk about Batman the Cult with uh, a few episodes ago, had this comment on my post about R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts. As usual for Tom, this is pretty much spot on. As you noted, this was so completely out of step with popular music at the time, it's almost prototypical R.E.M. by being an atypical R.E.M. song. Stipe never had been as blatant in his lyrics before or after, with the possible exception of Ignoreland. And while it's easy to mock now, true sentiment always is. Hearing this on the radio in 1983 was like someone had thrown a cold water had thrown cold water over your head. Um, I love the I love that comment. Um, mainly because he thinks I, I have a good opinion on it. But also, I love that last sentence. And uh, as of my recording this, um, I just sat down to schedule, and we're going to be talking about it on a couple of days from now. Uh, Trentus Magnus and I are going to be sitting down and talking about Automatic for the People, the entire album song by song uh, for his show. I don't know when that's coming out. Um, and when it does, I will I will post a, a link to, the show no- to, to his show notes or his uh, on the Facebook group, Shag came in with a comment on the show. He he messaged me directly, and I think he might have messaged Luke too about the uh, co- about the episode about war comics that Luke, Jack, and Eddie and I did. Uh, that was episode sixteen of the DC Comics uh, eighty years DC Comics series, which is still around. You can still listen to that. Episode seventeen is coming up soon. Um, but anyway, let me get into the comment. Great episode, Tom and Luke. Really enjoyed this conversation. I have some exposure to war comics, but only more in recent years. To answer a couple of points. One, yes, Sergeant Rock appeared in several Brave and the Bolt issues written by Bob Haney, and they were all very hashtag zany Haney. They took place in modern day, and Rock was an older, still active stateside military guy, sometimes acting like a uniformed super spy. And the crazy thing was Rock and Batman were buddies. Not just acquaintances, but actual buddies. One particular story... Not only had Rock in modern day, but included Jim Aparo and Bob Haney in the, themselves in the comic. It was seriously insane. And my description above doesn't do justice to the insanity at all. It's actually crazier than it sounds. And now I want to go read this. <laughs> Two, Rock did show up in the post-crisis universe during or after Our Worlds at War. He ended up being one of the coordinators of the short-lived Keith Giffen Suicide Squad. It was a great series with a combined flavor of the Suicide Squad with the humor of its JLI run. The best part was in the final issue, number 12. Rock disappeared and all was left behind was a rubber mask, proving it was never Rock at all. So the mystery of what happened to Rock after World War II is returned. Well played by Giffen. And I do remember him making an appearance in Our Worlds at War. That's a, that's a couple of trades that I picked up on the extremely cheap and read recently um but he is in there and i think he's referred to as a general or something but but he is referred to as rock so i was like wait is that sergeant rock and and it made me think back to when shag sent this comment about the episode number three yes dinosaur island was featured in who's who but that was pre-crisis at that point but there was a war the time forgot miniseries in the late 80s early 2010s it was decent and felt like a crisis on infinite earths for war comics and warrior comics soldiers knights vikings etc i'll have to see if i can find that if it's in trade that might be worth watching and also um 
I will point out, if you want to have a decent Dinosaur Island story, it features in DC The New Frontier by Darwin Cook, and if and I'm sure a lot of you have read that and know what I'm talking about if you haven't. Go get... I, I, Amanda gave me the deluxe edition hardcover for my birthday, and it was so awesome. So awesome. I can't recommend that story enough. It's so great. Number four, back to Shag's email. I laughed when you ran through the various types of war comics and then mentioned the war that time forgot was just bananas. Those are some of the first war comics I ever have. I love that showcase edition. So much fun, and yes, they are not hilariously show. Five... The other showcase edition, War Showcase edition, I have is Enemy Ace. Whoa, that is some seriously good comics. Great artwork by Kubert, Moody Storytelling, and High Adventure. Love those stories. You know, I, I'm kicking myself for not picking it up when I saw it on the cheap. I'll have to keep my eye on it at my LCS or anywhere else that might be getting, um, they might have deep, cheap discount bins. The, the frustrating thing about it is that my, uh, I've seen a lot of discount trades with Marvel more than DC, uh, and a lot of recent Marvel. Uh, Mike Belly has had a comment several times over that this is due to borders having closed, and there was just this glut of, of cheap trades in the marketplace, which is fine for us, the consumer. But I wish kind of wish DC was was part of it too, because uh, I've gotten a few. Um, I don't think I've paid full price for any showcase edition. But I have a few that I got on a real cheap, which is awesome. But I, I, I really want to get more of those, including stuff like the enemy ace ones and some of the ones that are non-superhero, because those are really fun to have. Again, great episode. Tracy Lane emailed in on June 24th about the War Comics episode as well. I just discovered two true freaks, and I've enjoyed the 80 years of DC podcast. The War Comics episode got me thinking about how much certain... G.I. Joe characters line up to some of the DC War characters. Uh, Tracy has a list. Uh, Mademoiselle Marie is Scarlet, female spies with accents. Unknown soldiers, Snake Eyes, masked infiltration ep- experts. Gravedigger Commando, stalk, uh, Gravedigger, Stalker, African American Commando. Sergeant Rock, Duke, Army Sergeants. Bulldozer, Roadblock, Big Guys. Captain Storm, Shipwreck, Sailors Who Lost a Ship. Johnny Cloud is Wild Bill, Old West-themed pilots. Sarge is Gung Ho, Marine Corps Sergeants. And Gunner and Pooch, Mutt and Junkyard, a guy and his dog. You know, being that I don't have... Maybe, Luke, if you're listening to this, you can you can speak to the accuracy of Tracy's comment because that does sound really cool. And maybe Hama was drawing from a little bit of inspiration from old comics. And I and I really like how you listed them out because from what I do know of those characters, to me, it seems to match up. Uh, Luke or anybody else, if you're listening, come in with a comment and say how accurate that is because I'd be curious to see what you guys think. And Tracy says, thanks for the entertaining podcast. And thanks for the email, Tracy. That's, that, that really was, a, was fun to, to think about. Alicia Kay had a comment about an incredibly old post, one from the, about the Kevin Bacon cult classic Whitewater Summer. I'm in the middle of watching this right now, so I definitely felt the need to comment. I'm only 25, but my mom, who was born in 1971... Loved this movie as a teenager. She introduced it to to me when I was really little. My sisters and I grew up watching it. It was always one of those movies that I watched with Stand By Me or Now and Then. I've seen it maybe six times, which is a conservative estimate. And I have to agree that it holds up to what I remember from watching it in elementary school and as a teenager. I also identified with Alan and was surprised when no one knew I had seen this movie or at least heard of it. I now know... 
that I shouldn't have been, but it sucked that so many people missed out on this over-the-top awesome movie. My kids will watch this rad movie one day and probably have a crush on Sean Astin. It will probably also take them years to undo the Kevin Bacon hate this movie creates. I'm not sure what the point of my comment is, but I was happy to read you your post and glad you liked the movie. I really like this movie. And it's one of those movies that I kind of want to give a podcast episode even though I've done a blog post. Because I did the blog post years ago before I even had the podcast, before I came up with the idea for the podcast. So you've got me thinking about it, but it really is a great movie. And if you get the chance to watch Whitewater Summer, do it. I mean, it's, it's just fun to watch. Michael Ridge uh, commented about the crossover I did with Views from the Longbox as well. He said, I listened to both parts of your crossover with Michael Bailey. It was interesting to hear from the collector side of the comic book world in the 90s. I've always been a reader rather than a collector. So I ignored cover variants, special formats, double covers, and the rest if they raised the page cost of my reading. The 90s were difficult for me because some issues of comics I follow were quickly sold out on, quote, New Comic Day, and I usually went to my store the day after. In 1987, I was temporarily assigned to the Washington, D.C. office and stayed at a hotel in Crystal City. I visited a comic store in the mall. I purchased the Longbow Hunters there. I had never seen a comic store at a mall at home in Minnesota. My local store smelled of old books, ink paper, and paper dust. I thought that was the only way to smell comics. Thanks for bringing that back that memory and the comic store he's talking to is probably Jeppy's comic world which was in uh the crystal city shops the underground shops as they called them at the time Uh, it's no longer there and i think i mentioned that in that episode but i used to live in crystal city probably next to the hotel he stayed at uh because i live right above it and uh, i went there a couple of times Michael J. Miller had this to say about my post on Star Wars number 81. Uh, now, this sounds like Star Wars storytelling. I grew up reading the old EU novels and a little of the Dark Horse comics of the EU. They were what continued the story of Luke, Han, Ch- Leia, Chewie, and company for me. I've yet to find en- anything as interesting in the new Disney canon, especially in the new comics. They all seem to lose my interest after a few issues, refusing to step out of side of the a new hope timeline or take any real risks in their storytelling this is so refreshing to read you made me want out and maybe want to run out and grab the dark horse omnibus thank you for your review uh thank you mike and there's um there's also there's the dark horse omnibus you can get it at the cheap uh disney uh marvel's been reprinting those as well so there's plenty of reprints and there's recolored reprints of the marvel ones uh out there uh, there are some comments on the Facebook episode about my episode of Batman the Cult. Brad Dade uh, comments listening now. Plan to write a longer email later. FYI, the events of the cult are referenced at least twice in the main continuity. First, during the death of the family, Batman narrates in part four how he is still recovering from his encounter with Deacon Blackfire. Blackfire. Um, and also, way, way later in the Batman Blackest Night miniseries, one of the lanterns that rises is referred to as Deacon Blackfire. Brian W. Frazier says that Amanda Waller brings up this matter in Suicide Squad number 10 in 1988. Um, (laughs) Earlier in the podcast episode here, I was griping about uh, Batman fans uh, doing this, uh, which I have come to call in my head bat-splaining. Andy made a point and I agreed with him that DC did their effort to bury this after it came out and the point he was making was that as Nightfall loomed closer and No Man's Land as you get through the 90s Jason Todd's death is still there it's still mentioned other things are still there and still mentioned this storyline 
kind of is, it, like you said, it was buried. And, and the point being, it's never brought up um, after a certain point. And both, both kind of, with the exception of the Blackest Night thing, which um, was at a time when, you know, which was years and years later. And, um, you know, at a time after Grant Morrison had done so much with involving all the continuity, like, you know, this whole idea of everything's in continuity. Um, it's very much of that time. The references you guys make in these are right after the cult happened. What Andy and I were referring to was, as you go on, this starts to fade out in terms of something that, quote, was canon. Um, and, and that's what he's saying. So it's not that we were uh, wrong because we weren't. Um, and it's just, I always find it funny that, like, and, and I was complaining about this to Stella the other day, that if I'm going to go in and have a criticism or a comment about a Batman storyline, it's like I have to have all my facts lined up in a row and ready to go because I'll be picked apart because I say, you know, well, you know, I don't think this is ever mentioned again. Actually, blah, blah, blah. So thank you for bat explaining that to me. Um, there's a Facebook comment on issue number on episode 61 from Mick Ginger. He uh, he's his first time downloading of Pop Culture David here. I really enjoyed your show. Bailey, shout out to listen to part one of the comics of the 90s. Pointing me your way, so thank you, Mike. Uh, the show is interesting, funny, and educational. And to another kid who bought comics in the 90s, I look forward to catching a few of your shows mentioned in the promo about the books you picked up 20 or was it 30 years ago? Yeah, it was 30 years ago, Mick. It was. It's going to be called Origin Story. I'm in the middle of writing the episodes and recording the episodes, and they will start dropping, I think, in uh, late September. Um, and he finished out with the hashtag old men yelling at clouds. And that'll do it. Uh, so thank you very much for coming along. Uh, I've got some pretty big plans the rest of July. Uh, not only am I going to uh, try and post regularly to the blog, uh, not only do I have another episode planned for some time in the next few weeks with Professor Allen, uh, but I intend to get both of the remaining episodes of my DC Comics series out for you to listen to. They have been recorded. So all I have to do is edit and release them, and hopefully I'll be able to do that within the next few weeks. Uh, so keep coming back to the site and leave comments and emails, share and post. Do not forget to leave iTunes reviews because I have, like, what, two? Uh, it would be pretty cool to, to get more because it will raise the uh, profile of this podcast. And I will see you then. Thank you very much for listening, and take care. All my life I've tried to make everybody happy while I just hurt and hide. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review at illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness. Hold your crown,
Insane. 